Welcome to episode 13 of the Cine Snob Podcast. I'm Jared Kingery. I'm Cody Viafania. And this is Kiko Martinez. And, of course, the biggest news of the week is the passing of Robin Williams. Um, was found dead Monday. Uh, victim of suicide. Uh, we won't go into the details of that because it really doesn't matter. But this has kind of sent just reverberations throughout the world. I mean, everybody has, it seems been affected by this and um i know the three of us when it happened we all sent messages to each other like holy shit can you believe this sort of thing and um you know i don't i don't know about the two of you but i don't traditionally uh like to feel like i get affected by celebrity deaths i get that sense that uh you know i don't want to co-op somebody else's tragedy Mm -hmm. but this is one of those that that feels different yeah, How about you? this one's a bummer. This one really sucks. I mean, it's it's weird because I think that everyone has um, everyone has their own kind of connection with his work in some way. I think that almost everyone, whether you're old or young, kind of has like a a connection. Like for me, you know, my fandom of him happened in two phases. You know, once when you're a kid, mm-hmm. and then once when you get older and you can check out his dramatic work and. And so, yeah, this one, I, I definitely agree with you that, you know, celebrity deaths are kind of, you just read about it and go, oh, that kind of sucks. Yeah. This one, like, bummed me out for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I, it was, I mean, we're not going to say anything on this podcast that hasn't been said in the last four or five days. I mean, we loved his work or most of his work. Um, it's just weird how people are, <laughs> it's, I, you know, looking on social media and things like that, people are bringing up, you know. Like Cody said, uh, the, the movies that affected them, and it's weird because it's coming in like generational. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, so like people are like, "Oh, I loved Bicentennial Man." Yeah, <laughs> I haven't seen that one. I haven't seen it's... people say, "I love Bicentennial Man." Yeah, no, there are. Well, you I mean, haven't. Well, you haven't seen the movie, or you haven't seen that phrase. I haven't seen that phrase from anyone when oh. they're talking about their favorite stuff. Well, you know, I I think the the biggest like the generational marker for me is Hook. Like, if you like Hook. Then you're way younger than I am because I saw that movie, you know, at 12, 13, whenever, and I just didn't care for it. Cody, Cody, were you a fan of Hook? I didn't see Hook. You haven't seen Hook, really? No, because that was, I mean, like I came around, like Mrs. Doubtfire was like the big, okay, the big one for that me. That makes sense. Um, but I mean, I my first memories, of course, were Mork and Mindy. Um, I remember my my parents watching that, and then like it segued into uh, stand up with. Uh, and did you ever see this, Cody? Did we find? Did you finally watch it with the, this kind of high watermark of of who Robin Williams was in the '80s? Was a night at the Met? Yeah, I did. Um, and uh, I know that the generational gap there is probably huge because there's a lot of jokes about Reagan and like <laughs> Gorbachev. Yeah. And um, but I remember my dad like, watching that with my dad when I was I don't know seven, eight years old, probably too young, <laughs> frankly. But uh, that was never really a concern of my parents that I was too young for a certain movie. Um, but that's something that affected, that stayed with me. And that's the first kind of work of his that I revisited once I mm-hmm. heard about his death. Yeah, the first thing I revisited was Mrs. Doubtfire. That, you know, that movie to me is like, it's one of my favorite comedies ever, but it's something that holds up and I can watch it whenever mm-hmm. because um it's, it's something where when i got older it's one of the first things i rewatched and and then caught so much more than i did when i was you know you know seven or eight years old watching it for the first time 
Um, but it's it's like it's really it's a really uh, like honest look at divorce. It's yeah. really funny. I mean, the premise is kind of like you know he's he's like a psychopath, really, what he's doing. But <laughs> right, yeah. but uh, but it's it's really funny and uh, and you know I really appreciate. I think that he kind of put his foot down. I think the original ending, they wanted the parents to get back together. Mm-hmm. And Robin Williams was like, no, we're, I'm not doing that. And so I appreciate that he kind of went for the ending they did in that movie. But it's 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 such a funny movie. Yeah, no, I agree. It's one of those things that you, you look back and, I don't know, when you get older, that sort of stuff. Because he had that, that kind of mid uh, early to mid-90s phase of kids' films mm-hmm. that... That most of them I didn't really care for, like Hook, Flubber, uh, yeah, Flubber, yeah, Jack, Jack. Uh, I to- like Jack when I was younger, but I haven't seen it. In and years. Uh, something like Toys is just a strange misfire of a movie. Uh, but Mrs. Doubtfire, I think unfairly by you know snobbier older types, gets lumped into that. Like, oh, here's Robin Williams and drag. How routine, you know? I think that maybe Tyler Perry ruined. <laughs> that joke for for everybody else made it unfunny but it, you re, looking back at it recently it is a really funny movie like mm-hmm. he's really you know he really sells that character and it's it's just a it seems like a a trait of of his life you know even outside of the films that you've heard about since he's passed that it's just everybody's story has been like oh yeah he was just the funniest nicest guy yeah well in in you know Mrs. Doubtfire is something that's heavily improvised on his part you know much like you know, Good Morning Vietnam, where almost all of his radio, his his radio stuff is improvised, and that was yeah. kind of where he was insanely talented. I mean, you read stories about how they changed so much of Aladdin because he improvised so much as the genie in Aladdin yeah. too. And uh, I don't think Aladdin. I mean, Aladdin obviously is a is a wonderful movie. I mean, I love Aladdin, and I don't think it gets enough credit for maybe uh, maybe some people don't like this, but it kind of, Robin Williams' performance in that kind of irreversibly changed how animated films work in Hollywood. Like before, before that you wouldn't get some superstar voicing a character in, in an animated movie. And now that's all you get, you know, that's, there has to be movie stars attached to the film for it to be made. Cause you, you know, you look at the rest of the voice cast of Aladdin and they're all voice actors. You know, they're all people that, are, that do this, you know, that's all they do. But then you throw in Robin Williams and he's the star. You know, he's the huge Hollywood star. And now you there's no animated movie that I can think of that's come out since then that that hasn't featured at least one, you know, real movie star in it other than just voice actors. You're you're definitely not giving Gilbert Godfrey enough uh, oh, credit. Yeah. <laughs> just yeah. kidding. No, I, I know what you mean. But. I think it's interesting that I mean since his passing I mean I think I've done it too, but you go back and start revisiting stuff like uh, things that you've seen and things that you haven't. I know I did the same thing. And like on Netflix, like three or four of his movies are like the most popular ones yeah. right now because people are clamoring to see, you know, things that they have seen before, things that are, you know, that they haven't ever seen. Um, like for me, I never saw The Fisher King um, mm-hmm. until last night. So I checked that one out. Um, I didn't really care for it though. Um, there's other things though that are just uh, really po- for me. It, all this dramatic stuff hit harder for me yeah. than his comedy stuff. Other than Mrs. Doubtfire, I mean, he he had hits and misses on both genres, but um, like Good Morning Vietnam was probably the first time that I really was introduced to him. I never saw Mark and Mindy actually, so um, 
as a kid. I mean, I've seen it since, but um, yeah. It's, so it's interesting watching people like going back and like trying to like. I wish that more people would see more of his stuff instead of you know. Oh, let's go back and watch you know Mrs. Doubtfire for the tenth yeah. time or whatever. Um, yeah, but I think maybe in the in the immediate you know moment after his death, people want to be reminded of joyous. It's a comfort food. Yeah, thing, yeah. exactly. And I, I've done the same as you. I mean, I've spent this whole week watching stuff I haven't seen of his before. So you know, in the past, you know, it's been like five or six days. I've watched like I hadn't seen Good Morning Vietnam. I watched that. I watched Dead Poet Society, Awakenings, World According to Garp. So, and I, I'm still going to continue too because there's tons of other stuff I haven't seen. So, and, what did you like? I love Good Morning Vietnam, and uh, and I really liked Awakenings too. That was really good. Although, you know, I guess you could say it's more De Niro's movie than his, but uh, but they're both really really great in that. My favorite performance that I haven't had a chance to revisit yet. And it's a movie that used to make me emotional anyway, mm-hmm. was uh, Goodwill Hunting. Yeah, that's my favorite performance of his, for sure. That that scene um, on the park bench, mm-hmm. uh, the way it's directed, where you're just getting Robin Williams talking, and the camera slowly trucks around. I mean, it's it makes me uncomfortable, but in that kind of, like, I'm being lectured sort of way. I don't know if the, either of you know what i'm talking about uh the, just the, the the way it holds on robin williams through that scene where he's describing uh you know how full of shit uh will hunting is because he hasn't lived uh and you can kind of every now and then see matt damon reacting you know you can you you know you, you get his nose or his mouth or something but i think it was just that was the performance for me that, that i was just like this is fantastic this is and I loved it. I can't get enough of that movie, even though it it's I've seen it. I must have seen it 20, 20 times already. Um, but it's the one I want to revisit. But I don't know that. Eh, it sounds dumb. It sounds cheesy. But emotionally, I don't know if I can take it right now. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like because it's a movie that that always affected me personally, and then for something else to affect that enjoyment, I don't know. It sounds. It sounds. Uh, I think I we're know. all just sad. Yeah, I guess it, it's okay to be sad. I, you know, I like I was saying at the beginning, you try to be kind of tough and think that like, oh, you know, somebody I didn't know that that passed away, like, you know, it's a it's terrible, but it doesn't affect me personally, but then sometimes it does. I I do love that too though that he had such a varied career that he could, you know, go off and do stand up and do straight comedies and then, you know, pull something like Goodwill Hunting off where other than maybe one scene in the movie uh, he's completely dramatic and, you know, wins an Oscar. And he was nominated for, what, three Oscars? Or four Oscars? I think four total, right? Uh, good Morning. It was, Gosh, good, I don't it was good Morning Vietnam, Good, good Will Hunting. Hunting um, the Fisher King. Fisher King. And uh, th- I think there was one more. I don't remember. Uh, what was it? But he won for, for Good Will Hunting, yeah. of course. And uh, I don't know, did either of you listen to Mark Maron's... Uh, Dead Poet Society was the other Dead one. Poetry. And yeah, I did, I did listen to that. And yeah. it's... I don't know how necessarily... How much this was true when he talks about having won the Oscar not really meaning anything. Mm-hmm. Because the next week people were saying, hey, Mork! Yeah. And I, I mean, <laughs> it may be just a funny story. And it may be kind of a deeper insight into... Uh, how he was feeling about that is the a, work. I, I don't know. The end of that podcast is particularly uncomfortable to listen to because 
you didn't listen to it, Kiko. I, I haven't heard it. So basically, the podcast ends with uh, with Robin Williams having a a conversation with himself, talking himself out of suicide. Yeah, and it's just really odd. And you know what? It's odd too because a lot of his movies dealt with suicide. Yeah, I know. Like That's... Dead Poet Society, uh, World's Greatest Dad, um, and then oddly enough, it, What Dreams May Come. Yeah. Uh, the Fisher King has. Uh, oh yeah, that's right. I, I read the synopsis for that. Uh, has uh, Jeff Bridges uh, almost killing himself, and Robin Williams stops him. Yeah, it's kind of weird that. And oddly enough, too, you know, it came out a couple days ago that uh, he was in the early stages of Parkinson's. Yeah. And um, and that obviously contributed to whatever he was going through. But well, maybe we don't want to. Well, speculate. there has been some reports from close friends that I right. was reading that that he was kind of really, you know, worried about his potential. I mean, he did have Parkinson's, but but and then Awakenings has a lot of Parkinson's related yeah. stuff in it too. So it's kind of just this. Everything around it is very odd and. Uh, well, I think that a lot of people like to try and put together the pieces after something that you know, yeah. tragedy had happened, and really it doesn't. I don't know. It doesn't matter to me. One of the best things I've seen this week with him uh, is, uh, I think it's a commercial for Nintendo. Oh, yeah. Have you seen it? With his daughter. With his yeah. daughter. Yeah. His oh, daughter man. named Zelda. Right. His daughter's named Zelda after Legend of Zelda, which Robin Williams was a big fan of. So there's a, I, was it a commercial? Or yeah. Some kind of like a. It was for, a, 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 I guess, a reissue of the game on <clears throat> uh, the, the Nintendo 3DS. Right. Yeah. You should check that out. I mean, they, they, it, they just shoot. Uh, him and his daughter playing the video game and talking about her name and why she, you know. And he, uh, has a, he has a big old beard in it. He has a big old and he's laughing. Uh, yeah. He just looks jolly and happy. and It's cool to watch him interact with his daughter like that. Well, and you, you know, you hear the stories of, uh, of people, you know, I've seen it scattered across comment, site, comment sections on, on news sites that people that encountered him that, you know, I remember reading one yesterday. Uh, there was a woman. This was the early 2000s, 2002, 2003. She worked at a diner in Hollywood or L.A. somewhere. And she got like struck up a conversation with him waiting on him about how she only had a VCR. Because this is, you know, in the oh, right. early adoption phases of, of DVD. And that, uh, you know, because I guess they were talking about film somehow. Mm-hmm. And that the next day he had a DVD player delivered to her at the diner. Oh really? <laughs> so it's just like it, and there's tons of stories like that. Tons of stories like a guy who was a bike messenger because Robin Williams was an avid bicyclist. Cyclist? Is that how you say that? I'm not. I'm sorry. Yeah. Cyclist. Mm-hmm. There we go. And uh, that he was at a bike shop and and overheard a guy talking. You know, another a bike messenger had gotten his bike stolen, and then the guy went to go pick up his new bike the next day, and Robin Williams had paid for it. Wow. Just yeah, I've seen. I read. I read some of those too. Uh, did you see the one with Lisa uh, Jacob for his daughter from um, one oh, of the yeah. daughters from uh, um, good um, from uh, Mrs. Dalfire? How I, how she was missing school and he wrote a letter to the principal. Well, they were they were going to kick, kick her, her out, out of school right. for missing so much. I didn't. No, that was that her. I saw she had a, did a TV interview, but I, I yeah. Didn't, she I didn't well, she when she was shooting Mrs. Dalfire, the school decided that they were going to kick her out because she wasn't in class anymore. So. Yeah. Um, Robin Williams wrote it like a letter to plead with the you know principal in the school to let her go back. She's learning something as she's out of school, like you know <laughs> trying to you know f- further her career, but at the same time she still wants to go back when this is over. But, yeah, 
And I think she said that they didn't they still didn't allow her to go back, <laughs> but that they framed they framed the letter <laughs> and it's hanging like in the principal's office. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it didn't work, but you see like where his heart was. So. Yeah, and um, obviously it's uh, you know unfortunate, and you can't you know I personally you know it's it's one of those things that affected me, but it doesn't. You know, you feel for the family, you feel for the close friends that that had to do with it. You know, and and it's I guess it's uh, interesting and positive that the world I guess is grieving alongside you. I mean, I don't know if that's maybe that's cold comfort, but yeah, I mean, I think I I can't recall seeing so many posts about one event like on social media. Yeah, than I saw when this happened on Monday. So um, yeah, it's definitely kind of a thing that people are rallying around and kind of posting their favorite performances and and it's good that they're showing stuff on tv and they're replaying the movies um one thing that i i don't like uh that i saw was you know flipping through on demand there's like a robin williams collection on demand where you can pay you know six bucks to watch a bunch of different movies it's like can, can what, you, you not offer those up for for free <laughs> right. eh, well it's profiting off of what's happening is it not well, there's really no difference than, you know, if you went out and, you know, people are buying his albums on, you know, people buying albums on iTunes or whatever. I mean, it, I don't. That's true. But I, putting it, putting it up, put every, putting everything on, on demand for the sole purpose of selling movies to people who are trying to find it. I don't know. <clears throat> I don't know. I, no, I, I get you. I mean, if you're going to go out and buy his album, you're making that decision. It's not like being presented to you unless you went to like Walmart and there's like a kiosk now well, with this like stuff well or... maybe if they raise the prices or something but i mean this is stuff that was not available really with the the kind of uh demise of video stores it's not really something it's not really an easy thing to go out and find everything anymore you know all right so if you had to recommend one film of his that you've seen to people you know during this time that they would to go enjoy what would you what would it be to enjoy or to really take in how talented he was. I think those are kind of two different things. Well, let's say, uh, which would you, wh- what film have you seen that you wish more people would see? I mean, after watching it last night, I think Awakenings is a good one. It was one that was definitely not on my radar. But I mean, you almost can't go wrong with anything that, you know, I mean, the, the past, you know, 10 or 15 years of his movie yeah, don't- career have not been I great. But. Don't go rent RV or. Yeah. Well, he, he kind of <laughs> took a different path at some point because he did that big comedy like RV and uh, the license to wed and stuff. But then he did right. a lot of kind of darker, independent-ish stuff, like World's Greatest Dad and. Uh, yeah, and and and, and I, I didn't like that movie as much, but he's very good in it. Um, but yeah, I mean. Obviously, my two favorite performances are Mrs. Doubtfire and Goodwill Hunting, but I feel that every, most people have seen those. I think I think those haven't, from my personal experience before his death, had a lot of strange backlash against them. You know, in that they were kind of routine. Like that Mrs. Doubtfire was just more of the same, and that Goodwill Hunting was Miramax, you know, Weinstein, Oscar bait. And I don't think it's fair to either of those movies. That no, I don't either. But yeah, I would say Awakenings is probably my pick for for something that might be a little less seen. Uh, good. Um, as much as I like Good Will Hunting and Awakenings, uh, I still have to go for Good Morning Vietnam. We've all seen that though. Oh well, then fine. Everybody, fine. One hour photo, get like totally freaked out and 
scared of Robin Williams? What do you think about him? Um, I'm going to go <laughs> strange and weird and unappreciated, I think. Uh, Popeye. Yeah, I like I like Popeye too. But back to um, people seeing um, Good Morning Vietnam, I don't think that's true in terms of like generations. I, I, I don't think people that say that the Patch Adams is their favorite movie has have necessarily seen Good Morning Vietnam. Uh, I don't – let's go back to Patch Adams. Um, was that kind of the point – do either of you like Patch Adams? I hate Patch Adams. I, I did when I was younger. <laughs> I haven't seen it in probably a decade, but I did when I was younger. I it just it's I think that's the the moment where people started kind of turning against Robin Williams in right. the public light. Well Patch Adams is such a polarizing movie. Um yeah, you either love that movie or you hate that movie. It's either that or Flubber. Flubber was kind of a, Well Flubber was just a kid's movie though. I it mean, was, but people like really hated that well, movie. Well yeah, I didn't like Flubber either. Um, and oddly enough, he did that the same year that he did Goodwill Hunting. So, <laughs> one for the kids, one for the adults. Yeah. <laughs> um, like I was saying, Popeye. Um, I'm not sure if it's on Netflix. That was his first movie, but I we, think. Right? I think. The, uh, I think so. But I mean, it was a huge, big budget adaptation. Robert Altman. Mm-hmm. I mean, just a crazy assemblage of of talent. Uh, you know, Rob, Robin Williams and Robert Altman together making a Popeye movie. I mean, if you if you didn't know it existed and you heard about it, you'd be like. Fuck you! That doesn't exist. Like there's, <laughs> and the the crazy kind of uh, set construction that they they did on uh, it's Malta, island of Malta that they like built the whole sweet what is it called Sweet Haven? Mm-hmm. And uh, God, I remember watching that as a kid, and, like the punching the octopus. Yeah, it's just such a strange movie. Um, and supposedly, I don't know if you ever follow Harry Knowles on uh, Ain't It Cool News. But, <laughs> Supposedly, there's a like three hour director's cut somewhere, <laughs> which I would love to see, but I don't know. I don't know if I could take it. But yeah, I'd try check out Popeye. It's different and it's strange and it's weird. And Shelley kinda... Duvall, her singing is great. When you, she <laughs> sings that He Needs Me song. Yeah, it's such a strange film. Um, but I think worth a look, especially now. You know, when you're you're trying to look at stuff you haven't seen of uh, Robin Williams, so. And again, I can't reiterate A Night at the Met. I love that that album. Cody, did you not like it? You know what? It was I I, I laughed um during it, but th- there was so much that was a, like way over my head. It was <laughs> I mean it, it was what 86? It was 1986, yeah. And I I wasn't born yet, so uh it was kind of really <laughs> over my head at times. <laughs> but it was funny. There was a lot of really funny stuff in there for sure. And I haven't seen his um his later stand ups. I've seen clips of like uh Weapons of Self Destruction, but which was his his last one he did. Yeah, I didn't see um, that one either. And then also something I've been meaning to rewatch but I haven't, but he was on an episode of Whose Line Is It Anyway? Oh really? Uh, back in back when it was at like the height of its popularity. The Drew Carey version? Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, I didn't know that. I have to go. And find so it's that. it's on it's online where you can watch it, and I need to go back and rewatch that and see how it is because I'm sure he was incredible at it. Yeah, uh, yeah, and, and I don't know. Maybe um, you're too young for this, Cody, but I can remember like Robin Williams coming be, coming onto the Tonight Show, like with Johnny Carson, or even later with mm-hmm. with uh, Leno or on Conan uh, late night. Oh, but all those are great. The just the way that he. I mean, he's the best. He was the best guest to have. Yeah, you know, just and it was just incredible. And that's why you know he was on. I rewatched the. Uh, uh, they showed a clip of it on Conan's talk show the other day. Uh, the clip of of Robin Williams 
I guess it was one of his Conan's last Tonight shows. Did you oh, see? Oh yeah, yeah, I saw that. Uh, where he sings this like this Irish jig that ends with like "fuck you bastards, you can't take a joke" to NBC, and it's yeah. just this incredible fun, uh, <laughs> fun atmosphere. Because that do you did you watch the Tonight Show with Conan O'Brien when it was dying? Kiko? Mm-hmm, yeah. Uh, just th- those last two weeks were incredible. Yeah, they were. Uh, just of c- comedy and like, you know, fuck you, NBC. I can't believe they kept it on the air. I really can't believe NBC. Oh, yeah. There was some stuff with like Adam Sandler where it got really, <laughs> really insulting to NBC. And Conan was like in his monologues, which is beating the shit out yeah. of NBC. It was so funny. But that whole segment, I watched it. Uh, it's on Funny or Die. Yeah. Um, they had a the whole segment. Robin Williams just comes out like... And like pretends to pull his dick out and wave it at the city of L.A. And then, you made a mistake. Uh, and it's just moments like that that I, you know, I watched throughout my youth. And then that's pretty much the last time I saw him on a talk show. I think. Uh, yeah, and you know what? It's it's been interesting to read the tributes this week because everyone describes Robin Williams as really shy, mm-hmm. and it's been it's been weird to read that. Like uh, like like off stage, he was a really shy person, and then all of a sudden. When a crowd of people formed, he just turned on, and he had to he had to just you know be at a hundred percent. It's kind of like you know if you've watched uh, Conan O'Brien can't stop, you see that you know yeah. he's, Conan is mm-hmm. is almost like he almost feels obligated to entertain people when they're around him. Yes, and, and it's kind of like the same thing with Robin Williams. I was going to mention that that and I forgot about it until you brought that up. That Conan O'Brien has the same. Like, watching that film, it's the same sort of mindset, which mm-hmm. is maybe frightening. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, because at times it seems like he's not even happy to do it, but he just he feels he has to. He he has a need to entertain people. And that's when you read the tributes to Robin Williams, you'll see that, like, um, like you know, like Kumail Nanjiani wrote a good piece about him doing the meltdown, or um, there was one from, uh, I think it was David Simon. Uh, talking about Robin Williams on the set of, uh, uh, homicide, homicide. Thank you. And, um, he talks about how Robin Williams was playing a, a really dark character. And then for like 10 minutes during the shoot, when people gathered around him, he just turned on and went on a 10 minute improvised crazy <laughs> rant, uh, and then just snapped right back into character. The, did you read the Norm Macdonald's uh-huh. account on Twitter? That how, was a good one. He, was it the tonight show? He was, it was Letterman Letterman. He was going to be on. And then, uh, Robin Williams came in like just the two of them in his dressing room and like pretended to be a Jewish tailor uh-huh. and, and he, dressed him and dressed him <laughs> and then no one else saw it like yeah. there was no one else there he uh-huh. was just performing just for him and left the room and, yeah. Uh, yeah so obviously everybody's been affected by this um, you know on at least a, a you know missing a a, a a beloved entertainer, I guess. Yeah. Um, I would have loved to have seen Mrs. Doubtfire too. What about you? I was I was not looking forward to it. Really? Yeah. Why? If you loved the first one so much, you would think that he wouldn't let the second one get out of hand. But what would have been the reason for him to? Well, that's why you have to wait for up. the script. <laughs> yeah, there's yeah. I, that's I wasn't a big fan of of all of his stuff. You know, the, like like we talked about Hook. Like lots of people love Hook. Most people like Cody in Cody's age range, the millennials, they love some hook, but uh, I just couldn't stand hook. Um, and Jumanji, like I was indifferent to Jumanji. Um, I don't know about you. I, I liked it a lot, but again, I was, you know, six or seven yeah. when it came out. So I, I don't know. I mean, 
to I mean it's not a popular opinion, but he 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 made more bad movies than he did good movies overall. But I think uh, the important thing to remember is he could do anything. But he could do anything, and yeah. his good stuff was really really good. And it's the way that he balanced his the comedy with the drama um, was you know I mean I think people that's what they want to get to. You see all you see people like. Jim Carrey or Adam Sandler taking on, you know, exactly. the uh, dramatic roles now. And people are like, oh, why are they doing that? Well, it's because people like yeah. Robin Williams showed them that that yeah. was possible. Yeah, Williams is definitely the benchmark when it comes to comedic actors going dramatic. I think that that's kind of what everyone's shooting for. And mm-hmm. it's something that, you know, Jim Carrey has hit once or twice. Yeah. And Steve Carell might be hitting it with Foxcatcher later this year. Mm-hmm. But um I don't think any of them, either of them had, well, maybe Jim Carrey a little bit, but had as much manic energy and like just immediate laughter like Robin Williams did. I mean, I guess Jim Carrey comes probably closest. Yeah. Uh, depends on how much you like well, Jim, him Jim talking Carrey, out of his butt. Yeah. Jim <laughs> Carrey was also heavily influenced by Robin Williams. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, it's, it's just, you know, it's one of those things where you watch Robin Williams and you would have never known any of this was going on because he was such an energetic and, and seemingly happy person. And, and, and yeah, it's just, it just, it's a bummer. I mean, demons are real. Yeah. And if anything, you know, if you can look at anything from this, that's remotely positive. It's that there's going to be a lot of awareness that comes out of this for depression and for, and, you know, to show that it doesn't discriminate against, uh, against anyone and, and that success is not necessarily equal to being happy. Yeah. Success, love, mm-hmm. fame, money, you know, it doesn't. Right. I mean, he had everything. All. That's crazy. I mean, he had everything. Yeah. Rest in peace. Robin Williams. Time to move on to news. It's time for the real rundown recapping this week in movie news. All right. This week, the Tom Cruise film edge of tomorrow, which I think we all kind of dug, right? Enough? I, I liked it a lot. I thought it was, I thought it was okay. You thought it was okay. Ah, <laughs> anyway, um, is sort of being rebranded for home video. Home video, like it's a video <laughs> store. <laughs> on VHS. <laughs> for uh, Blu-ray, DVD, and interesting, interestingly enough to me, iTunes yeah. as Live, Die, Repeat, colon, Edge of Tomorrow. Yes. Yeah, this is weird. Uh, <laughs> if you look at the DVD artwork or the Blu-ray artwork, um, I guess they still technically sell DVDs. It's yeah, it's the Blu-ray DVD combo. Yeah, who doesn't uh, buy that anyway? By the way, because usually oh, yeah, it's like I a know. dollar more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's got "Live Die Repeat" in huge letters, taking up almost the entire box, and then it says "Cruise Blunt Edge of Tomorrow" in like tiny little text. And then, like you said, on iTunes. The title of the movie is uh, Live, Die, Repeat, colon, Edge of Tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know I don't know why they're doing this. Um, I mean, obviously, it's, it's, a, it's probably a preferable title, but... Um, I think it, it, it speaks to what the movie's about way more than something like Edge of Tomorrow does. It does. Um, I, you know, there's, there's some people who are making it out to be that Edge of Tomorrow was kind of a flop, uh, you know, at the box office. And so maybe rebranding it uh, is 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 it will help more people find it or go oh what's live die repeat and then I I don't know it's it's very odd I think that's exactly why they're doing it I mean it's because it bombed at the theater and that's they're gonna try a different avenue to get people to watch it I mean it, there's so many movies that don't tell you what it's about in the, th- the title so I I doubt that that's the reason why it seems strange though 
such a high profile movie, like a Tom Cruise movie got, and this isn't like a total rebranding or retitling because yeah. that, that does happen all the time. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, you see it, you know, like, Hey, I watched this movie in the theater and now it's called something else mm-hmm. on Netflix. Um, but to, to take something that has a huge movie star like Tom Cruise and was marketed as this big summer movie and just change it. So it's harder to find. I don't know that it's, I don't know how the search function works on iTunes as well as, as something, but the thing that's the thing that weirds me out about it is that it's not Edge of Tomorrow colon Live Die Repeat. Yeah, like they're 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 making the actual title of the movie like a subtitle or a secondary title, like it's a sequel or something. Yeah, yeah. and I, and I don't even understand that. It's I mean even as a title that sounds stupid. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And and two, one of the things that Live Die Repeat was all over the marketing materials too. That that I I think that maybe some people were confused as to what the name of the movie was. Maybe <laughs> I, I it's it's hard it's hard to really know what they were thinking for this. But so far after the fact, uh, this is just such a weird time. And like you said, uh, it it didn't do well. I mean, I was looking at the numbers yesterday, and uh, the budget was one hundred seventy eight million, and it barely made a hundred million back. Um, domestically, right? Domestic, yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, a hundred million dollars doesn't sound like a bomb, but when you consider that it's, uh, that it's Tom Cruise leading and, and that it was high profile and that there was marketing everywhere, um, didn't do as well as expectations. Um, but to, uh, to, 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 <laughs> <stoned> me off. Uh, <laughs> there's a baby here. Yeah. Uh, anyway, to, to retitle it at this stage, uh, on this level is uh is is a weird move to say the least. I can understand uh you know fudging the movie uh the I'm sorry the DVD Blu-ray artwork cuz then you know you can say like oh yeah no it's still called Edge of Tomorrow and but you make live die repeat the the most prominent thing on the box oh. like by far. Yeah, go if you if you're at a computer or have a phone in front of you, go look up uh the DVD art for this movie because you would think that that's the name of the movie. Yeah. I mean, Edge of Tomorrow is such in such small font compared to everything else. But it's, but to put it on iTunes as Live Die Repeat Edge of Tomorrow, that's a pretty serious step yes. towards saying we're going to call this movie Live Die Repeat. Now. Yeah, that's and, what it's going to be. And I think some people are trying to undersell this by saying, "Oh, uh, you know, the press releases say the movie's still titled like it's not. We know it's not being retitled that right." But it's being rebranded. I don't think you can argue that. Right. Yeah. It's not like they're not changing the title on the the film. Uh, well, maybe I don't know. They're not. Uh, you know, was there an on screen title in this movie? I don't even remember. I can't. I don't remember. Because sometimes some have them, some don't. Yeah, it's not a constant thing anymore. Yeah. But you know, unless they go and change that in the film, I guess it's technically not retitled. But at least rebranded. Yeah, that's a great word. Rebranded. You know, it's this is how we're gonna sell this movie now. It's it's. It's uh, what is it? I forgot. Live die repeat. Live die repeat. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's talk about why it. Why, why do you think it bombed? I mean, that is. It doesn't make sense to me mm-hmm. that. Uh, I mean, I know I, I have my own you know thoughts or theories about why it did, but Jared and I loved it. It's a critically acclaimed movie. Um, it has you know Tom Cruise in it. I think Oblivion just sunk it. I think that Oblivion was so bad that this movie. You know, it's Tom Cruise again. It's uh, he's in a sci-fi movie. He's in a weird suit or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think that 
people associated it with Oblivion, which was just terrible. And I think that that probably hurt it. Yeah, and it was way too soon. Like, yeah. Oblivion was last summer, yeah. and then uh-huh. <laughs> Edge of Tomorrow was this summer. And it looks, like you said, it just looks the same. And I really think they undersold the premise. You know, the fact that, you know, make it uh, uh, Groundhog Day with guns. You know, it's what it, it's what it was. Alien Groundhog Day with guns. You know, sell that. Live, die, repeat as a title sells that to me mm-hmm. uh, better than Edge of Tomorrow because Edge of Tomorrow doesn't fucking mean anything. <laughs> like it sounds like anything could be called Edge of Tomorrow, <clears throat> you know, um, <clears throat> like an album. It sounds like an album title. Uh, yeah, I, I think I, both of those factors factored into the to the relative. Uh, I don't know. Bomb is such a strong word for it, but underperformance. I think. Yeah. yeah, that's that's a better word for it. I think too that people are just flocking to things that they know. I mean, well-established franchises and names. I mean, but Tom tomorrow, Cruise is a well-established yeah. name. Didn't yeah, get much bigger than that. I don't know. I mean, people. We're so deluded with things that we know now that are out there. You know, people went and saw, Teenage you know, Ninja Turtles. exactly, you know. Um, so when you hear about something like Edge of Tomorrow, you, you question what it is. And people don't want to do research. They just want to go. Well, I don't know. that. I Do you think people do research now before they go to yeah. the movies? I remember when I was younger, we just go and see well, yeah, whatever. But, but they're different. different. You don't yeah, have something in the palm know, of your hand. I know, but I'm just saying, like, do you think people research what they're going to go watch. I think I think a I lot mean, of remember people... Tree of Life? <laughs> well, that's different cuz that's intentionally strange and weird. No, no, I'm saying people went to go see it because it was a Brad Pitt movie. They didn't really realize what they were going to go watch well, or they but... didn't look up the director and see what he's all about. Okay. But that... you can't you also can't tell that from a trailer and I think that in a lot of cases you can tell things from trailers of of what you're getting I, into. I, I think that a lot of us don't like to think that we fall prey to marketing but we totally do mm-hmm. you know if you see uh you know i mean they can cut together a badass trailer for something and you're like oh that gets you excited about it and then you go see the movie and it's a piece of shit <laughs> you know and <laughs> that then happens the, a lot <laughs> yeah and it's an art form advertising is uh and i think that that they screwed up with this edge of tomorrow you know i think i think they didn't differentiate it enough from from uh, Oblivion or any other kind of alien, you know, I mean, it looks like Starship Troopers also. Yeah, and I think that, now look, I, I'm this part of the movie didn't work for me, but obviously the movie uh, is is comedic in a lot of ways. Yeah. And I don't think that that tone came across in the trailer at all. No. And I think that might have served it a little bit better, but... Because um, you, you get, your look, it looks like, oh, here's another Tom Cruise sci-fi action movie. Like, that's all you see. That's like, when I saw the trailer, that's it. Yeah, that's all I see. And then researching a little bit more, like, oh, it's kind of a Groundhog Day-ish it, scenario. Yeah, it did have very generic marketing. Yeah. So, I, I, so know, people don't research. And uh, people don't research. Even with a phone in your hand, people don't go and look up the director and look up stuff like that. Well, I don't know that looking up the director of uh, Edge of Tomorrow would have served any purpose because Doug Lyman is kind of a... Yeah. I mean, his last sci-fi-ish movie was awful, if you remember Jumper. I didn't see that. (laughs) It's just so terrible. Okay, you're right. Never mind. Jumper sucked. But uh, um, I think that the the generic titles have sunk other movies. I think John Carter was the last big one I can remember that, that absolutely... Other than the movie costing a 
you know, two hundred million dollars or whatever, and not making its money back. I think that that told you zero about what the movie was about. Mm-hmm. You know, you see John, you see a name John Carter, and you're like, well, what the fuck is this? You know, is this about like, is this a biography of some? You know, of my dentist, <laughs> yeah, Doctor Carter. Yeah. <laughs> Your dentist is named Dr. Carter. Oh, I was going to say, wow, like, that's pretty coincidental. <laughs> um, you know, and it, it's the the marketing is built around that. And I think on the flip side of that, you had Snakes on a Plane, which was all marketing. Well, and, and also an example of, an, <laughs> a, of a title where you know what you're getting yeah. uh, as you step into the theater. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, they, they made uh, whatever money they made off Snakes on a Plane. I know it, it kind of bombed in and of itself, but... Um, Whatever money they made on Snakes of a Plane was because they called the movie fucking Snakes on a Plane. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I never saw that movie, but what, not, a, what a weird cultural phenomenon that was for that period of time. I think that was a little before its time, frankly. I think if that movie hit now, because it was something like Sharknado. Yeah. yeah. And also, it was one of I, the, the first instances I can recall of uh, of the fans kind of directing which way the movie would go like sam jackson and them adding the yeah. sam jackson line because people were <laughs> you know it became a meme on the internet so yeah. i think that was what 2007 i think snakes on a plane was if it had hit maybe three years later or they would... can always come up with a sequel or, I, or the asylum came out with snakes on a train if you haven't seen that one <laughs> i didn't uh i those movies always fascinate me because i would see them at red box where they call them mockbusters yeah uh <laughs> And there's like transmorphers, and yeah. Trans- or whenever there, right. whenever there's like something public domain, right? Like a, oh god, like the Hansel and Gretel movie that came out last year with Jeremy Renner, right? Right. They'll release their own version of some badass Hansel and Gretel. And I think people fall for it too. I mean, they have to, or, or they wouldn't. I mean, because I remember uh, browsing through Blockbuster, and uh, and 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 people were renting like these weird, obvious knockoffs, like things that were out in the theater at the time, and they're like. Did they think that? Oh, it's on! It's on! I think some people are like that, but I think some people just want to see something. Yeah. Um, oh, this is good enough. Let's just take this. Yeah, one. I don't. I don't know the average moviegoer's state of mind when it comes to like, eh, you know what? Fuck it. I'll just get this. Because <laughs> I mean, I know that I've gone to block. I, <coughs> excuse me. When Blockbuster was around, I would go to Blockbuster and look at the funny stuff and be like, oh, let's go watch this, guys. You know, it's some piece of shit. Uh, that's how we rented Tales from the Hood once. When I, was in, I, I don't want to. I don't want to uh, to make this about Blockbuster, but I remembered something yesterday. Do you guys remember them labeling uh, movies as sleepers? Oh yeah, I remember that. That was, and and I best I, that was basically code for independent film, right? Um, oh God, I don't remember that part. Yeah, there were smaller films. I, I remember. I remember they're actually uh, movies that would make you fall asleep. They're so boring. <laughs> I remember a friend of mine worked on a zombie film. Um, that had a the production company had a deal direct uh, with Blockbuster that they were going to release this film direct to Blockbuster, mm-hmm. and that was how powerful that shitty movie genre was at the time. I guess that has since migrated to sci-fi, the Sci-Fi Channel. Yeah, but it was some like just shitty zombie movie, and they're like here's two hundred thousand dollars, make this zombie movie, and then we'll put it, we'll put it in Blockbuster and call it a. <laughs> call it a blockbuster exclusive yeah um and it was i mean it was bad and but it had some zombies in it he played a zombie sometimes that's all it takes 
just having zombies in it, and then it's uh, the <laughs> that seems to hit. be the formula now, yeah. especially after Walking Dead. Like shit, we should have made this pod. We should have had a zombie on this podcast. <laughs> Can you imagine how much more successful we would have been? Well, it's it's quite early, so we're halfway yeah. We can there. always add a, a one of us can become host. a zombie. Who's it going to be? Well, in the next zombie movie, we can do the podcast as zombies. Yeah. What did you think of the film? <laughs> just that. Just an hour of that. Yeah. <laughs> would we be? Would we be the fast zombies or the slow zombies? I'd be super slow. Yeah. Why bother? Right. You're undead. Yeah. You got nowhere to be. <laughs> <laughs> so this has been zombie talk. All right, uh, let's go ahead and move on to reviews this week. Here are this week's reviews. First up is The Expendables 3. Hey, Barney, you should have killed me where you had the chance. You want the kids? Come get them. Let's do what we do. Couldn't take the stairs? How hard can it be to kill 10 men? I couldn't find a clip, so I had to cut the trailer. So that's not really how the movie goes, but kind of it is, right? Like just, yell, boom, explode. Yeah. <laughs> we all saw this one. Uh, no, only you two. I didn't see it. Oh, you didn't see it. That's right. No. You I'm, missed an I'm amazing, a, amazing film. I'm not an enthusiast of the Expendables trilogy, so I didn't want to come in in the third and I didn't want to not know where home was going on. You didn't want to have to watch all three of them. Full disclosure, I haven't seen the first two either. But oh my god, Chico, why don't you start us off? Since I'm the only one that's seen all three, you're the Expendables. I uh, am the, the scholar here. <laughs> well, I would just just to let you know, watching Expendables three, uh, I you could have put on Expendables two, and I wouldn't have been able to tell the difference. Uh, Harrison Ford was in this uh, one. Oh yeah, sorry, never uh, mind. Asleep. I'd have been like, what is Harrison Ford doing in Expendables 2? What is Harrison Ford's corpse doing in Expendables 2? I mean, that's how that's how dead he was in this movie. Like, yeah, you can tell who's who's having fun and who's not. Harrison Ford was not having fun. Um, yeah, there's this is just you know the same old stuff. You're 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 not getting anything new from whatever you thought you were getting from the first two. Um, I don't know. I just I I think that it's run its course. I thought it run run its course in part two. But they want to get bigger, and they want to get you know, you know, you bring in somebody like um, Chuck Norris and Jean Claude Van Damme in the second one, so you have to go for big stars again in the third one and try to top yourself. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to top themselves, and they're that's really basically all they're trying to do. Like if they can get Mel Gibson in it, if they can get you know now, other people that you know <laughs> are big name stars, or let's. Let's be honest here. Mel Gibson is only in this film because no one else wants him around. Right, that's true. That's true. Which, and by the way, you should all see Get the Gringo because that was a that yeah. was a movie that I feel if it would have come out before Mel Gibson went crazy mm-hmm. would have been a, a a hit. Why hasn't he apologized yet? Why hasn't he? Because he's on, not sorry. But why? <laughs> hasn't, but I mean, like career wise, why hasn't he gone on that kind of self? Uh, self-flagellation tour of i i almost think that he has and then he just screws it up again because i don't remember any kind of effort on his part to get back in the public's good graces yeah no i don't think he did he would have done what everybody else does and you know lined up you know talk shows yeah for a month you know gone to rehab like alec baldwin does every few months where he where he uh, he does something stupid and then apologizes, and then he gets and back then, on top. Yeah. <laughs> but Alec Baldwin's never been kind of the screen presence that 
I mean, I loved Alec Baldwin in uh, 30 Rock, but he, he's never been kind of the screen presence that Mel Gibson has been and is in this movie. Like, he's great in this movie. Right, right. He's one of the only one or two things that I, or two or three things that I liked about this film. And it's just because he's just so psychotically crazy in this and just, you know, throws it all on the line. And he, he looks like he's having fun. I know Jared said, used that earlier this week. Uh, yeah. But him, he, he looks like he's having fun. He's taking, you know, Maybe it's because he, he's not really working right now. So he's like, let me throw everything I have into this yeah. role. That's all he really does anymore, though. Like, even in what he was in Machete Kills, right? Where he was just a. Well, yeah, that's a another. That's bad another. Guy. Yeah, exa- but uh, that's. I don't know that mach- the Machete Kills was a standard bad guy because he had like a rocket to the moon or something. Well, I just mean like the character type. Oh, not, yeah. Not, yeah. Okay. But, yeah. but it's almost like, I, and I hate this because I think Mel Gibson is a great actor and I, I want him to get back on top. But when you find yourself being cast in a role as a gimmick, then you know that something's wrong with your career. And that's where he is right now. I mean, they're bringing him in just to be that dude that people laugh at because, oh, you got Mel Gibson in your movie. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. And I hate that. Anyway, <laughs> that, that they were going to try to do that too for um, um, for uh, the Hangover Three. Remember when they were it's Hangover Two? Was it two? Yeah, because it was he was going to be the tattoo artist. Oh right, right. There was who was it? Nick Cassavetes? Right. Yeah, like who? who? Yeah, exactly. Who is this? Oh, no, so, it was. I, wasn't it going to be? It was going to be Mel Gibson, then Liam Neeson, and then Liam Neeson dropped out. So Nick oh, I didn't know about was, Liam Neeson. was the third choice for that. <laughs> Obviously. So anyway, back to back to Expendables three. Yeah, uh, Mel Gibson. He's uh, he's one of the bright spots in it. So is uh, Antonio Banderas, who steals every scene that he's in. He's uh, and it's and it's, it's and don't get me wrong. These uh, Gibson and Banderas, they're not amazing performances or anything. But it's just because they fill the screen with something other than uh, shoot somebody or stuff like that. You know, it's more than you know just guns and shit talking. It's you know. <laughs> A lot. It's just a lot more fun when you see them on screen. So you know, um, there's I I talked about Harrison Ford earlier, mm-hmm. and I talked about this in my written review. Is that there's a scene he's playing like I guess the CIA agent that's in charge of the Expendables right. or something. I don't remember what his his deal is, and he's giving Stallone the orders, and he has some what would be funny lines. <laughs> if he delivered them, deliver them funny, because <laughs> the whole the whole joke is that he can't. He can't understand Jason Statham, I guess, because of his accent. But the jokes just fall fucking flat. Yeah. Uh, and then there's a, there's a scene where he confronts Stallone after this mission's gone awry, and he confronts Stallone outside of the their headquarters or whatever whatever warehouse it is that the Expendables. <laughs> there's always a warehouse. It's always a, like a hangar or a warehouse, and. Uh, He's standing perfectly still, like and mildly <laughs> hunched over, like an old man that just doesn't want to move. Like, what is he even there for? How many more takes do we have to do with and, this shit? And it looks like, and there's no, there's no shots of him with other actors except for Stallone, Schwarzenegger, and, oh, yeah. and I think Jet Li, maybe. Yeah, he totally did this in like a uh, one afternoon or something. <laughs> you know, I. When you describe that, if you've ever seen Harrison Ford on a talk show, and especially when he's on Conan, he's very like distant and like zoning out and quiet. Is is he is he almost like that? And I, see, I thought he did that on talk shows, like as a like as yeah. a character. Like yeah, a I bit. think yeah, I think so too. But, but this but. is just standard Harrison Ford, like just not invested at all. Yeah, uh, kind of like Ender's Game. Like Ender's Game, there was little bits of flashes. Did you see Ender's Game? Yeah, 
there was little flashes of like him being, you know, like interested in the material, but this is just like I'm wearing a suit and I'm Yeah. I mean, if you're going to get Harrison Ford for this movie, then you want Air Force One Harrison Ford, or you want, you know... What happened? Did he just get old? <laughs> That's exactly what it is. Cause, I mean, he has a little jowls. And yeah. It's like... <laughs> and it, and it's, it, it frightens me more than anything about the new Star Wars movie, right. uh, that Harrison Ford is just going to be like, you know what? Fuck this shit. Right. But you I'm know, here for a paycheck. But you know what I mean? I mean, they're getting these big action stars, or back in the day, Harrison Ford, give them something to do, you know? Yeah. Even... Arnold Schwarzenegger, what the hell is he doing? Arnold in this Schwarzenegger movie? is just hanging around. He exactly, <laughs> and he's flying the plane, and he gets to say "Get to the chopper" yeah. for the probably the ten millionth time in his life. Ugh, <laughs> God, and I don't, you know what? I don't mind the stupid, corny <laughs> jokes, but if it was just more fun in general, because yeah. it's the plot line, whatever the fuck it is, uh, you know, he's, Mel Gibson's an arms dealer. I mean, it's there's nothing about it that doesn't. That doesn't mirror like just some shitty direct to Netflix action movie, right? That you know that Kellen Lutz would have been in anyway. You know <laughs> how have they not gotten like Nick Cage for this? He seems like he would like uh, he would go like a hundred and ten percent for this. Uh, that, that's a good. That's and good. and uh, what's Kelsey Grammer doing there? <laughs> I, I love you know what I remember watching the trailers for this and they put all the names on the screen like Jet Li, Terry Crews, and then it's just Grammer and you're like, wait, what? <laughs> and you know Frazier? what? <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Jet Li. I don't know. He's gotten older too, but I don't know. He's still a like a world class martial artist, right? Man, there's a great martial art scene in part two with him, which is the funnest part of the most fun part of the second one. They don't do any of that in, in the this. third one. He shoots somebody, and like that's it. Like there's no martial arts at all. <laughs> oh, and then they, they just over they overcast. I mean, you can't give. Anybody even five minutes anymore? And they, and in they this brought movie. in like younger Expendables. Oh, they we didn't even think to talk about that. Wait, before we get to the young Expendables, let me just say, even though I did like Mel Gibson's part in this movie, the first hour, <laughs> you remember you told me. Uh, the first hour of him is all he does is get into cars, get out of cars, and walk into buildings and like look over his shoulder. Yeah, and look over his shoulder for an hour. He, yeah, because he's playing like the mysterious. Uh, you know, drug lord or right. whatever, it's, weapons lord, uh, whatever, it's warlord. I don't know what the fuck it's. It's not until He's the second lord. hour. Yeah, yeah it's, it's not until the lord. second hour where you where you get his craziness. You know, but, and that would have been a nice, maybe a nice reveal, right? If you didn't know it was Mel Gibson, like we're after this guy and we don't never see his, we never see his face, and then boom, it's Mel Gibson, right? Right. But I mean, of course, you know, obviously from marketing, it's Mel Gibson, right? From the get go. But uh, um, going back to the uh, the young recruits now, um, they. Basically, what happens is Sylvester Stallone thinks that his team is too old now to do anything badass anymore. So he basically fires them and goes out for these <laughs> these new recruits, which is just totally like so stupid. The way I mean, it's just cliche crap that happens again, where he goes to each venue and oh, who's this and this yeah. is so and so. Well, let's take him. And yeah, then, Kelsey Grammer's leading him around. Yeah, I mean, like you would think, like after MacGruber, they would stop doing that. Because that's exactly what they did with, <laughs> right, you know, just to make fun of it. And uh, no, they do the exact same thing here. So, um, yeah, they get a bunch of recruits, none of which are really interesting whatsoever. You have Kellen Lutz, who's probably the biggest star because he was in Twilight. Right. Uh, Ronda Rousey, I guess. What has she been? She, 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 she hasn't. I don't think she's been in she a UFC MMA? Fight, MMA fighter. Yeah. Then uh, you have that like store brand Chris Evans guy. Store brand Chris Evans, who I don't still don't know his name <laughs> even nope. now. 
Store Brian Chris Evans. He's a guy that looks and talks and acts like Chris Evans, he's but Chris he's not Evans, Chris Evans. Janet Lee, uh, <laughs> Janet Lee Brand. I love, I love I love those people who who like you 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 cast this person when you can't get another person. Like, yeah, like you know how Josh Gad was when you can't get Jonah Hill. And, yeah. Uh, and like Chris Messina is when you can't get Paul Rudd, and yeah. it's like, like yeah, I love that. <laughs> now, this guy, like, if had Chris Evans bombed, like, had he not gotten Captain America, he'd have probably played this role. Yeah, uh, and then who's the? There's uh, a boxer. Victor Ortiz is a professional boxer, and he's in it as well. But again, uh, they don't. They're not. I'm. We're saying that they're in it and they're a part of this movie, but they're really not. They get captured and yeah, then they get rescued. Exactly, and Ronda Rousey. <laughs> I'm sorry. Ronda Rousey can kick my ass, definitely. But that girl is so bad in this movie. She's just such a terrible actress. <laughs> and maybe she just needs some, you know, acting classes or something. Well, but every <laughs> everything that she does in this movie is just laughable. Maybe if she, like, fought guys, like, hand-to-hand. But I think everybody just shoots everybody else. Well, she they? fights. Remember, she fight, she's a bouncer. They meet her when she's a bouncer. Oh, well, yeah, and you get that introductory scene because they, like... Because of course the cliche, like you know, grammar takes Sloan to a bar, yeah, and he thinks he's gonna see a dude, but then he sees the chick that's the bouncer, like oh. wearing glasses and high heels, yeah, and like yeah. this tight outfit that there's no way she could do a roundhouse kick, but still manages to do it, yeah. Chung Lee style. Yeah, it's just it's so. I mean, it's just the same thing over and over again. Yeah, I'm tired of it. I mean. I just said that I love to see Nicolas Cage in it, but you brought up a good uh, in in a part four. But you brought up a good um, uh, idea or a good thing that they should do in earlier this week when we were talking about it, and you know, just be more self aware. Yeah, that might do something with it. You know, if they just kind of mock themselves a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, maybe I, that could remedy what they're doing. I don't, I don't know. I think it's probably. Run its course because when you know, when when you first hear about this when you first heard about the first Expendables film you were like oh they're getting all these old eighties action stars together and it's going to be badass right and then you know because it's going to be semi serious but there's going to be jokes and then they're going to kick ass like they did before and then it just I don't know I didn't see the first one but well, at least yeah. by the third one it's like no oh. do they refer to themselves in the movie as the Expendables they do <sighs> they are the Expendables <laughs> and you know it it's kind of interesting. To me, like in its throwbackness, throwbackness. That's a word, I think. Throwbackness. <laughs> that they that they just have a plane. They can just fucking fly wherever they want. They're like, oh, let's go on the plane. Let's go. You know, there's no like, and they can just jump into like some country and like just start fighting some old Russian country that has a fake name. And, <laughs> oh, at the at the very beginning of the film, uh, they rescue Wesley Snipes's character from a prison train. All right. Uh, and they set Wesley Snipes' character up. He's like a medic, but he's a psycho or something. They set him out to be a big character, and then he just becomes another one of the Expendables that gets fired. Mm-hmm. Like, well, why the fuck did we spend the first ten minutes of this movie rescuing him? Why didn't he just show up? You know, the- <laughs> like everybody else? <laughs> yeah. Like, why did he have to have this big intro scene? Um, and, of course, he references being in prison for tax evasion. Oh, that's right. They so- ask him why... They ask him why he was in prison for so long, and he says tax evasion. Yeah. Because, of course. Wesley Snipes was... Because it's funny because it's true, right? Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. You pointed out that his his picture's the only one on the poster that looks like his head was just photoshopped in on somebody else's body. Because <laughs> there's that big giant poster <laughs> yeah. of all the cast. And, With like 35 people and on And he it. has no neck. <laughs> He's like... Eh. I couldn't so, show up to this photo shoot. Just Tax evasion. Once again, tax evasion. So, all right. So... 
Do you recommend this at all? No, I, I don't recommend it. I say go back and actually watch them at their prime. Watch Sylvester Stallone and Rambo, and or go watch like like uh, for Harrison Ford. That's the biggest disappointment to me. Go watch like Patriot Games or Air Force One, right? Something where he was interested and badass at the same time. I told you that they offered Mel Gibson uh, to direct this movie. Oh yeah, and he turned it down, <laughs> which would have been interesting. An Oscar-winning director directing an Expendables movie. Well, Stallone is an Oscar-winning writer, and he wrote it. That's true. That's true. true. And and now they got some, like, generic guy to direct it. I can't remember his name. Something Hughes. Hugh Downs? Hugh Downs. (laughs) Not John Hughes. (laughs) Hugh Downs. Uh, Are you looking that up, Cody? Yes. The director? We'll uh, him and haul a little bit more until, until you look it up. I don't recommend Patrick it Hughes. Patrick Hughes, who has directed uh, nothing else. Oh, he's going to direct the American remake of The Raid. Ooh. So that's interesting. Wow. All right. Yeah. Well, I don't recommend it either. Um, go rent some other. Like, go watch Rambo. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the one of the one of the Rambo movies. Terminator. Go fuck. Go watch Terminator Two. Something when Arnold was not just. An old man hanging around the set. <laughs> I watched Conan. I wonder what would have happened if they didn't in, uh, invite like Arnold to come on board with this. I wonder if it would have been sad. What do you mean? Like if they hadn't like there I'm sure that there's some Oh, 80s. like if like if like somebody's been left out? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm sure Michael Dudikoff is somewhere uh <laughs> like just waiting for the phone to ring. Michael Dudikoff, American Ninja. Remember yeah. Michael Dudikoff? And I maybe do. like Michael Bean? Like where the hell is Michael Bean? You know, from uh, Terminator. Oh, right. Oh, uh, that's true. Like, where is he? I don't know. That Somewhere sad. I, I know you're waiting for Expendables next year. Well, you got something to say, Cody? You're no, I was, I'm ready to move on. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to the next review, The Giver. It's red. Just like her hair. Yes. There's red, green, blue, many different colors. But our people, they chose to do away with all of them. They created sameness. If we were different, we could be envious, angry, consumed with hatred. We need sameness, don't you think? Oh, I completely agree. It's still, it's also beautiful. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> we, we, we all saw this movie. Cody, why don't you start us off since you actually read the book, right? Uh, yeah, I read this book as part of a required reading in uh, in seventh grade in middle school. Um, first off, we saw this movie at the biggest clusterfuck of a screening that I have been to in a long time. Oh, there's been bigger. There's been bigger. Well, I've been, well I've, that we've been to recently. And it, uh, going through that was more fun than watching this movie. Well, to talk about it, what, we, what happened because – that that was a national thing, so maybe some people oh, experienced yeah. that. If you were out and you went to the uh, it was it was, Fathom event, it was screen. a Fathom event on Monday night, uh, a screening of The Giver, um, and it was the big thing was you got to watch the red carpet stuff, which was a guy hilariously floundering to <laughs> to stretch out time because he and, was delayed. And that to, to that guy's credit, he did a good job. He was in a horrible situation because first of all, like there's not enough time to. I mean, there's too much time to fill, and second. 
like the Robin Williams news had just broken. Yeah. So like he's having to to deal with that too. Like they're at this yeah. celebrity premiere, and then people are you know he's doing live tweets and stuff, and people are tweeting about Robin Williams. So it's just it's a totally conflicting like yeah. two conflicting moods crashing into each other. Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, and then so after a delay of uh, of the red carpet, they go to the inside where they do intros, and One Republic plays some shitty song, uh, and then uh, and then they're like, okay, here comes the movie. And then, uh, and then a in the theater we were in, and I don't know if this was everyone else's experience, but um, uh, a Direct TV logo or Dish Network <laughs> logo came up on the screen in the most blinding white uh, color, with some loud, with the loudest music, the loudest soft core porn music. Yes, it was like smooth jazz. Come on, man, it was like Kenny G. <laughs> it was just blaring like like for alto like, sax for like half an hour. Yeah, like it, like literally, like it was probably about twenty, twenty minutes or so that we had that. It up. was a long time, yeah. And oh my god, it was just a disaster. So were they just wait? Were I, they just waiting for it to start? I mean, I'm guessing that that's there was some kind of delay. Um, or... I, I mean, I know that it was la. I mean, uh, like everything. Everybody was supposed to start watching the movie at the same time. I yeah, think that's right. The, was and I know thing. there was time zone issues. Um, yeah. The moral of the story is, if you're going to any of these simulcasted events, you might want to think twice. It was it. an expensive ordeal too. Like, oh, yeah. It was like twenty bucks. Twenty two bucks a ticket Goodness for that. Gracious. Anyway, to the movie. Uh, this is a movie where uh, somehow a society has crumbled and been rebuilt, <laughs> but you, uh, but the people in there can't have feelings or emotions or see in color. Uh, I don't understand that last part. I, yeah. I can't figure that out. Unless like the the injections they get are like genetically modified so that they shut off the. I who knows. That's the least of the problems. <laughs> but then, how movie. would they know that they weren't in color? I mean, how would they know that they're in black and white to begin with if they don't remember color? Yeah, that doesn't make let's sense. Get to, let's yeah. let's deal with that later. We'll get to, yeah, we'll finish the plot. So I, I I don't remember much about this book. Um, it was a long time ago. Um, and what, like eight years, twelve years. Oh, when you actually read? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Before I just watched the movie version with everything. Um, you know, this movie is. Awful. It is god awful. Um, you know the the worst part about it is that the acting is just is just <laughs> it's so bad. Like the it's not and it's not even the acting. It's the line delivery. And I wrote about this in my written review um, at cinesnob.net. Uh, but you know they they are supposed to be emotionless and they're supposed to be a little robotic. But that doesn't excuse the line delivery to be so piss poor to the to the point where it's like uh i wrote in my uh my review that it was like they stumbled off of the set of an infomercial like the acting is so bad in this movie and and the story itself is is it's an okay idea i mean um you know it's 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 not a particularly unique idea of the fact that you know everyone in a community is I think every young adult novel is exactly yeah. the same, isn't it? Like some post-apocalyptic thing where there's one individual who breaks free of yes. the oppressiveness of whatever society has been built up in the wake of whatever the fuck happened. Yeah. <laughs> yes, That's exactly. A great synopsis. <laughs> yeah, these dystopian things are just getting I mean, it's getting too diluted. I mean, there's way too many of them. They're all aimed at the same people. This movie was trying its hardest to let people know that it is not a love story between these two, you know, young kids, which it's not. I mean, you have to give it that at least, uh, even though there is some love uh, romance going on. Yeah. Uh, little by little. With the giver and the receiver, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> by the way, 
Uh, if you're if you're an immature person, there is a ton of un, uh, unintentional comedy in this movie. Uh, Especially based on the fact that every time Jeff Bridges and this young kid are on the same in, in the same uh, <laughs> scene, it looks like they want to kiss each other. <laughs> like move closer to me. Why does Jeff Bridges always sound like he just finished eating peanut butter in this movie? <laughs> I know. Like, there's I, I don't know if that's a, like a put on accent he did. I don't it was know. like like you just got a mouthful. <laughs> I'm gonna get her. Yeah, but, it, but that's a little more Jimmy Stewart. But yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there's tons of mentions of the giver and the receiver in this thing, and and you're just like snickering to yourself the whole movie. But um, anyway, and there's a scene. What was the scene towards the end of the movie where Meryl Streep mentions people blowing each other away or something like that? Uh, I don't remember that. Uh, anyway, <laughs> Cody's making up jokes as he's watching. It's like, yeah. yeah, but you know, it's. It, I feel bad because this was a big passion project for Jeff Bridges. He's been trying to get this movie made for like 18 years. He wanted his father to play Lloyd Bridges to play the giver. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That would have been interesting because I remember mostly I remember Lloyd Bridges from comedy. And he wanted to be the the younger version, right? Or what did they say in that? I don't know. I or, thought he wanted to direct it with his father playing oh, yeah, the giver. That's probably mm. right. And I, I just can't imagine that this is the version he saw. It's very generic. The characters, uh, the character design is is uh, is is generic. The screenplay is just feels like it's written by a simpleton. Like it's it's kind of like a God. You do not agree. I didn't. I I didn't hate it with this passion that you seem to precision but. of language, Jared. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, I mean, that seems to me like just the the a trope of the genre where it's like. I mean, Katie Holmes is every time I Katie Holmes says precision of language like nine or ten times. Yeah, just makes me feel like she's just reliving like some Scientology <laughs> like shock treatment. Like that was something. That, <laughs> yeah. Like that was something that she's she's gone through herself. Yeah, like Katie, it, you don't have to say it so many yeah, times. Yeah, stop, I stop. Do. Can I? Can I just? I want to put on the spoiler zone because I want to talk about uh, something really quick. Oh my goodness, spoiler zone! I know, but I don't want to give anything away. But it's it's it's. Uh, hold on. All right. Now entering the spoiler zone to avoid spoilers, fast forward to... One hour, 14 minutes, and 29 seconds. All right, Cody, what is so, so I don't, worth the spoiler zone? I don't want to make a big deal out of this, and it won't last long, but uh, um, I thought that there was one good idea in the entire movie, and that was the idea of killing babies. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> Look, guys, I'm not going to make a big deal about it, but... I can't get enough of the baby killer. <laughs> I thought that was the most interesting thing in the movie. I think it was the it was the thing that kind of like I won't I won't say like hit hit hardest. <laughs> what, the, what are we talking about here? But, I want to say the thing that really touched my heart or God, God the, the part that really resonated really spoke to me. <laughs> I think you guys when they inject poison in the baby's head. Now, uh, I think you guys are okay. It's the most interesting thing to me about the the movie. Um, because it, it's kind of, it gives you a sense of like, oh, okay, this is really bad, obviously. But the thing is, Alexander Skarsgård is in this movie who, uh, I, I, I don't think he's a bad actor. He's really good in what Macy knew. But anyway, that scene is so ruined by the fact that he like, like dopely just goes and just injects the baby soft spot and like is completely oblivious to what he's doing. And it's just, it's the most absurd scene. There, there's a lot of stuff that in the film... I guess in the universe of the film that doesn't really make sense if you try to think about it. Yeah. Like, cause what does death mean to these people? You know, cause obviously, I mean, 
what you see on screen is only people that die are sent to death. Like the old people are sent. Well, it's it's to... not. It's not really a sent a uh, 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 death as a concept. It's more like they're going on vacation to. Well, yeah, but I mean that's what that's what happens to them. Like the babies that don't that aren't fat enough or something. Yeah. <laughs> they don't weigh enough. Get. Poison squished into their brain, but they don't know that they are killing because the act of dying is not a, is not something they understand. So, but they, how that can't be like because they're riding bicycles and flying and stuff. Like, well, how, has nobody ever died? Yeah, of an exactly. Accident? That's what I was thinking. Like, <laughs> like, was there, nobody's ever gotten hit by a car. Or yeah. nobody's ever you know fallen out of a tree, or had a or... heart attack. <laughs> exactly. Like they're they're in this futuristic world. Yet Alexander Skarsgård ejects a baby in the soft spot. Puts it in a box and sends it down a laundry chute. Like, <laughs> what the hell? It was. It, I mean, it's just, just like I said. It just doesn't make sense. You know, the rest because you're like, and the, we talked about earlier with the color. Like, the world is in black and white because they decided that it needed to be in black and white yeah, or something. I don't know. And then all of a sudden, he can start seeing colors, and he knows what they are. I don't fucking understand. Like it doesn't make yeah, any yeah. sense. He, he wakes up from from or not not wakes up, but he's he's being given it to the giver's given it to him, <laughs> and he's receiving and uh, <laughs> and uh, and he wakes up and he's like, I know colors now. That's red. That's blue. It's like all right. And what the f- what was up with that cabin? Like, did that actually exist? Or like all he had to do was slide down a hill and there was like civilization that was that- what? What do you mean? Like yeah, he, that cabin at the end of the movie. Yeah, he the, sees it in the. Somewhere. Oh, yeah, like, like he, he sees a vision of uh, like people living like it's, it's, it's Christmas, like Christmas, yeah. like it's, it looks like a Christmas card. And, yeah, yeah, I don't know. That I didn't understand the 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 climax of the film where he's climax. escaping. Yeah, he's escaping with a baby across just <laughs> just incredible like a variation of terrain. <laughs> <laughs> like he crosses a desert, like climbs a mountain. Does he throw himself off a waterfall? Is no, a waterfall? yeah, yeah. the cuz the like his friend picks him up in a drone and is going to bring him back and then drops him in a river. Like, thanks asshole, <laughs> you just drowned my baby. But by the way, that that friend character was maybe like the most dull character. And I wrote about it in the review again cuz they in the in the first scene they interview him and or they interview him. They introduce him and it's like he was the funny guy who could always make everyone laugh, and he says nothing, even <laughs> even like, hu- like, like even remotely like amusing the entire time. Well, and then the the love interest character, I guess the girl. Yeah, she was dead inside pretty much. <laughs> I, and these young, make sure to see my interview with her on Citizen.net. <laughs> these young actors, uh, I mean, they're pretty, but they just offer nothing. And I mean, not that anybody in this movie really stood out i mean even people like jeff bridges and and meryl streep are just they could have been anybody could have played them right i mean i didn't i didn't have any kind of particular affection for jeff bridges as the giver yeah uh, just that's why you have mel gibson would have been great in it yeah and at times meryl (laughs) streep like very literally like like she's 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 seen on like a screen it's like she skyped her part in like it's oh she could have probably yeah i didn't (laughs) think about that let's get out of the spoiler zone yeah screw this spoiler zone crap now leaving this spoiler zone. Just to let y'all know, uh, the director Philip Noyce. We were talking about uh, Noyce. 
movies like uh, Harrison Ford's Clear and Present Danger oh, and Patriot right. Games. He wrote, he he directed them. That's right, I remember that. Um, and he, uh, Philip Noyce, he's not a bad director whatsoever. And back in two thousand two, he did a movie called Rabbit Proof Fence, which is great. Oh yeah. And then also The Quiet American, which got um, Michael Caine an Oscar nomination, and he's that's a it's the Quiet American is a great movie too. Uh, but Philip Noyce, uh, yeah. So he did Salt. I didn't mind Salt. Did you see Salt? I never saw Salt. Do you like Pepper? <sighs> Shut, Shut, up. Up. Shut up, Cody. Precision <laughs> of language, Cody. <laughs> and now The Giver. What I just said was infinitely better than anything written in the script in The Giver. So, All right. Uh, and I like hologram Taylor Swift, by the way. Oh, Taylor Swift is in this movie um, playing, I guess, The Giver. Eh, we're, not, we're out of the spoilers on Fuck the it. Gi- the Giver's daughter. Yeah. Who I guess she's fine because uh, you, you see she Taylor's fine, <laughs> but she's like, of course, a big part of she was a big part of the premiere yeah. that we watched and a big part of the po- the advertising like Taylor Swift is in this movie for three minutes playing a dead girl. <laughs> Shit, I guess I guess her her being the daughter is a spoiler. Whatever. To, this movie uh, have to cut that out. No, no this movie sucks. So. Yeah. Um, and if you, and I think the only people that are going to be fans of this movie are the people that read the book. Yeah. Maybe. And they already know. So, okay. Do either of you recommend this? No. No, I don't. I, I'm, I'm totally against the giver. I did not like it either. So, yeah. I don't recommend it. And I wish the, the kind of event would have been better too. Fathom Events. Yeah, they kind of dropped the ball. I like uh, Fathom Events. I, I usually go to the Rift Tracks shows. Went to one this week where they showed uh, Godzilla 98. Mm. That's a Fathom event, and those always go really smoothly. Was it funny? Yeah. Okay. And, you know, revisiting Godzilla 98, some of those special effects are really terrible. <laughs> like, and they had to have been terrible for the time. Because, I, I mean, I know, like, you know, oh, it's 15 years ago, 16 years ago. Of course, they're going to age poorly. But they didn't even look good. Like, you stack them up against something like Jurassic Park. Yeah, that's true. So, this has been a retroactive review of Godzilla 98. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the tail end of the giver. All right, uh, so that's it for this week. What do we got for next week? Uh, Sin City, A Dame to Kill For, If I Stay, When the Game Stands Tall. Okay. And a movie called Calvary is opening. Oh, yeah, Calvary. Yeah. Okay. And uh, also, this coming Saturday, August 23rd, once again, Sinistrat will be on national television on the H2 show. 10 Things You Didn't Know About with Henry Rollins. You can see me talking about the film industry in San Antonio, Texas in 1910 as to what happened to it, why nobody remembers it, things like that. Why they should remember it. How we almost became Hollywood. and We were very close to being Hollywood in 1910. But you got to watch the show to find out what happened. Yeah. So watch that. Uh, That's on uh, Saturday, August 23rd. 10 p.m. East, 9 Central on H2. That's the History Channel 2. Yeah. For those of you who aren't up on your your channel, channel abbreviations. <laughs> Used to be the History Channel International a few years ago. Then they changed it to H2. The History Channel now is where they show Pawn Stars, I think. And then H2 is where kind of all the... Um, Actual history happens. The, yeah, the, the documentary <laughs> so style So that's like the Hitler, uh, the Hitler everything? No, that that's uh, the American Heroes Channel now. Oh, okay. Wait, what? There's <laughs> look, Hitler stuff on the American Heroes? Look at it. Uh, you, you have U-verse, right? AT&T yeah. U-verse? Yeah. Like, go to... Uh, uh, like right under the history, right under H two in the Science Channel or something is a sh- is a channel labeled AHC, and that's American Heroes mm. Channel, and they show like Nazi stuff all day long. Mm. 
that stuff just kind of migrates. I remember the History Channel when I first started watching it was a lot of World War II stuff, and now it's it's moved down the dial, mm. as it were. All right. <laughs> Not, lots of nuts. We didn't really on? nail the ending of this, did we? <laughs> uh, yeah, so anyway, if you want to get a hold of us, you can email us, podcast at cinesnob.net. You can call us or leave us a voicemail, text message, one of those things. Uh, the number is 920-FILM-210. That's 920-3456-210. Uh, you can use your calling card if you've got one from the 90s still. <laughs> They make those anymore? I think so. I think so. I think you can call like Mexico. Yeah, like international calling cards. God. You can call us collect if you want to. (laughs) 1-800-COLLECT or 1-800-CALLATT. Is that the other one? (laughs) Yeah. Remember Alf did the commercials for those and Carrot Top? Yes. Yeah, I remember the Carrot Top ones. Yeah. Gosh. (laughs) All right. Uh, On that note, I'm Jerry Kingery. I'm Cody Viafania. And uh, this is Kiko Martinez. Thank you for listening to the Cine Snob Podcast. To read reviews, interviews, and more, visit cinesnob.net. See you next week.